This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. I don't know about you, but I have never been so thankful and aware of the fact that I have heat and power at my home than I have been recently. Today is February the 25th, I'm John Dunn, and it's just been hard for me to wrap my head around the devastation caused by the recent winter storm. That leaves up to two million Texans without guaranteed warmth for what looks to be an incredibly frigid night ahead. As you mentioned, the entire state for the first time in weather history under that winter storm warning. This episode is going to focus on the storm that wreaked havoc across the south central U.S. I should say that pretty much everywhere in the country was impacted. I had to break out the snow shovel in Advil at my home in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We got some snow, I think about six inches. That's pretty average for these parts. And other than the backache, it's just how it is. But we have plows and road salt and the power grid. It's built with gnarly winter weather in mind. We are not the Texas Hill Country. I had water, but no electricity at the shelter. And I had electricity but no water at my house of course pipes all over town broke they're just not ready for four days i mean one day two days of 32 degrees we can handle but not this so we were fixing pipes and then we were on a boil water notice so having to boil water for all the animals and ourselves that's nicole grubbs with the city of junction texas it is in hill country as they call it we'll share a little bit of the journey that community has been on and is still on And even though the news cycle has moved on, pets in the affected areas are still in need of help. We need transports to move at-risk pets out of Texas, and there's always a need for groups across the country that are willing and able to receive animals. So if you are in a position to do either, help transport out, or your organization can receive animals and give them a positive outcome, or, you know, if you're in an area that is still struggling and you're not connected to these larger efforts, please email podcast at bestfriends.org. We will get you hooked up with the right people. Podcast at bestfriends.org. As I promised last week, I am thrilled to be able to announce that for one week only, the Best Friends podcast will be transformed into... Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? If you've seen the game show on TV, it's going to be similar to that, similar format, except we can't give away a million bucks or a hundred grand, knock off two more zeros, in fact. Players will be playing for real money, a $1,000 unrestricted grant that will be distributed to a Best Friends Network partner of their choosing. John, what is a Best Friends Network partner, you say? Well, I will tell you. When all of us are working together, as we're seeing right now in Texas, when we're sharing information and resources, we save more lives. That's a fact. So with that fact in mind, a number of years ago, we created the Best Friends Network. It is a coalition of organizations, public, private shelters, rescue organizations, those that focus on spay and neuter. Those partners, as we call them, are in all 50 states. As of today, there are almost 3,300 organizations part of that coalition. It's free to join. The application process is easy. And today's episode where we talk about the work happening to save lives after the storm, it truly does show the importance and effectiveness of the Network Partner Coalition. 
It's possible that you are affiliated with an organization that is already a network partner. Maybe you're a paid staff member, or board member, or volunteer. But if your organization is not a network partner and you want to play and you want to have that unrestricted grant go to your organization, you need to get on it. You need to apply. Link with information on how to do that on the podcast website, bestfriends.org slash podcast. Now, if you're not affiliated officially with an organization, that's okay. You can still be selected to be a contestant. You would just need to select a network partner to receive the grant. So if you have a favorite organization where you live and they are not a partner, you need to tell them to get their application in now also. If you aren't sure which organizations in your area are network partners, link on our website, bestfriends.org slash podcast. We've got a map and you can search. Now, the most important part, how do you become a contestant? There is a link on the podcast website, bestfriends.org slash podcast, right there on that page. Try to make it easy so there's a big orange button. That'll take you to a quick form to fill out. There's an optional survey, just a handful of questions, very easy and quick. The deadline to opt in to be considered for the show is March 11th. So there's a little bit of time, but go do it right now so you don't forget bestfriends.org slash podcast. Tell everyone you know to enter. You only need to do it once per person, but multiple people at the same organization can fill it out. Now let's turn our focus to Texas and the historic winter storm that crippled much of the state. During an ordinary week, a lot of shelters and organizations across Texas need help. Some of the largest life-saving gaps in the country are communities in Texas, there's been a tremendous amount of work and improvement in places like Edinburgh, Palm Valley, Dallas, Abilene, Houston, Harlingen, of course, Austin. That's changed things for the better. But a storm like this stretches even the best performing, most well-resourced organizations incredibly thin. And while it is likely to come as no surprise to you, shelters, organizations, the people who work for them, and the public have stepped up to help whether that be on the ground in those communities or across the country where pets are finding loving homes as the recipient of a transport. There are so many inspiring stories, many that are still being written. So even though the snow and ice have melted, for shelters and rescue organizations, it's going to take some time to dig out from this one. We've had ice before and we've had snow before. And it's typically every five or six years we'll get that much. Sometimes it sticks, sometimes it doesn't. It, we were literally 100 degrees below what we're used to. And been this cold since 1846, according to the news. Yeah. Nicole Grubbs is the animal control officer for Junction and the department lead. And there at the end, you heard Brittany Janicek. Her title on paper is adoption coordinator. She's part-time. But as is so often the case, especially in smaller communities, if you put a title down for each one of their actual contributions, their business cards would be a three by five. I chatted with them to learn more about the city of Junction and what the last couple of weeks has been like. Our city of Junction um, is about two hours west of San Antonio, Texas, towards El Paso. Um, we're very rural. Our town population is 2,574 people. Most people in our community, as with every community, enjoy their pets. Yeah. We have one grocery store here. Uh, we have no Walmart. Our closest Walmart is an hour away. So fair to say a smaller community on the scale. What is the annual intake at the shelter? From my fiscal year, I believe the numbers are from October 1st, 2019 to September 28, 2020. We brought in 606 animals. Uh, most animals that I bring in are running at large. 
and I bring them in because I don't want them to get hit by a car or hurt or into trouble. We have a feral cat population. Excessive. Yeah, but we've been taming it. Okay, so walk me through this thing. We've got the storm coming. I think, you know, the realization of the impact, you know, what did you do? What was happening? Um, we had a full house already and I had brought in a pregnant dog with Demodex mange the Wednesday before all this happened. So Thursday I felt she was close and sure enough on Valentine's Day, she had her puppies. Now in this time, our electricity is spotty rolling on off. And so Brittany came out to the shelter and she was cleaning and she called me. She said, we have no electricity. It was so cold. We couldn't leave everything here. And with no electricity in a kennel, in a crate, it's not fair. You can't do that. So I have a fireplace at my house. So Brittany and I and her mother, who was down visiting from Florida, loaded everything in cages, crates, and... 10 dogs, 20 cats, <laughs> loaded everything up and took it to Nicole's house. So 30 animals you sat at your house. It's great because they're cared for and warm because you have your fireplace, as you said. I mean, I'm trying to understand what that looks like. Were they crated? I mean, what <laughs> what was that like? The dogs were crated because I have my own dogs. And, I, you know, we had cabin fever going on. My kids were home with chicken pox. Um, there was no school that week. I mean, it was just snowpocalypse. I was following along and heard the numbers just, I think, for the state. It was something like 9 or 10 million people without power but then there were the issues with the water supply. What was that like in Junction? I had water, but no electricity at the shelter. And I had electricity, but no water at my house. And our city crew was amazing. Mm -hmm. They worked, um, I think it was- 27 hours straight? Something like 24 that. 24 hours straight, something like that. Yeah, because our main water line on Main Street burst, they were there fixing it till they got it. The pipes at my house, pipes all over town broke. They're just- not ready for four days. I mean, one day, two days of 32 degrees, we can handle, but not this. So we were fixing pipes and then we were on a boil water notice. So having to boil water for all the animals and ourselves. So we did that till Friday and Friday I contacted our uh, electric company and they said, yes, if you have power right now, it's going to stay on no more rolling blackouts. So we came out, Hey, shelter had electricity. So Friday, we did a really deep clean and then moved all the animals back here. So pulling this episode together, I talked to a bunch of people here at Best Friends, all, you know, they're involved in coordinating all these things. And I was asking who, you know, who's doing what, where, you know, what's happening. And you were the first community mentioned every time. And you are not yet one of our network partners. And obviously that doesn't mean we won't work with you, but definitely in terms of connecting with you. And, and I'm just interested to understand you know, how did all that come together? Monday, you know, I, I'm still trying to get everything situated here and in town and still trying to do my job in the snow and sleet and hail. So I get a message on the recorder here and it said, hi, this is best friends. We're just calling shelters, seeing if y'all need anything. Here's our number. So I said, okay, hi, my name is Nicole. Here's what's going on. And from there it blew up. Saturday, our wonderful Dr. Brooks from Junction Veterinary Clinic came out and got all the animals up to date on all transportation necessary. Rabies and distemper. And, and he let me charge that because it's not in our city budget. So winds up uh, back and forth with best friends. 
uh, and then they got us in touch with Albuquerque and in Albuquerque, Celia and Julie came out. They came Monday night, got a hotel room, stayed the night. We started loading everything Tuesday morning and they are some fabulous ladies, but we couldn't figure out how y'all had heard about us. It was a mystery to us. And, you know, we're calling everybody and trying to figure it out. And yeah. Mark at the colony. Yeah. They had called him and he is such an amazing person that he said, we're okay, but I'd really like to see if y'all can help this little small community town. And y'all did. Best friends did. They reached out to us in the middle of nowhere. And we are so honored yeah. um, just to be on y'all's radar. We really are. But it wouldn't have happened without Mark. If Mark had not said, we're okay, but will you reach out to these ladies that I try to help? We would have never, ever been in the situation that we are now. Well, that's very nice of you to say. And I never want or expect guests on the podcast to just lavish praise on best friends. I think that would be weird. Uh, and this is not what that's about. But at the same time, it's very heartening for me to hear about the teamwork and understand the role that we've been able to play uh, all my incredible colleagues and the impact that they've had. Uh, but I think I speak on behalf of the Best Friends team when I say we're honored to have connected with you and are able to do what we can to help you and your community. And I think, you know, what's so great about situations like this, great is definitely the wrong word, uh, maybe a silver lining, I suppose, is, you know, these connections that are made in times like this they won't go away. We're still going to be connected. And I feel pretty confident in saying that we'll be working together more in the future. I was talking to my mom and uh, I told her, this is my childhood dream come true, bringing all the animals home, but it just didn't quite work out the way I had it envisioned in my head. But I told her, I said, you know, I would go through this storm over and over and over again because of what it's done for us to be able to talk to best friends, to be able to talk to Albuquerque. Nicole, Brittany, I am in awe of you and how you were able to, pardon the pun, weather the storm. Uh, listen, thank you for everything you've done for the animals there. And this truly is one of the great pleasures I have with the podcast, to be able to meet people across the country saving lives like you uh, and learn about new communities. I was searching like Google Junction and it looks beautiful and it's uh, I'm adding it to my list of places to visit. You know, Junction is a wonderful community and Junction is a town where everybody knows everybody's name. They will give you the shirt off your back. You know, we couldn't get gas. We had no, no gas, gas in town anywhere for that was what, three days? Yep. Because trucks couldn't come in. Yep. to bring the, the gas and the fuel and the diesel and all of the 18 wheelers who got stuck here and the people traveling who were stuck here, we ran out of hotel rooms. They opened up one of the churches. The grocery store was empty. And, you know, our ambulance couldn't run. And so we couldn't get people out of the hospital. I mean, it was just something that I hope to never go through again. But our community came together. Hey, I have water. Who needs it? Hey, I have milk. Hey, I have eggs. Who's homebound? You know, I had one lady call. And she got stuck out and she's like, hey, can you go let my dog outside? And I said, no, I'm going to go get your dog and bring it home with me. And but when you did. do make it home, you can come get him, but I'm not going to leave him alone. So we all work together as a community and I'm so grateful and so blessed to be able to be a part of this community. And uh, I love it here. I'll never leave. <laughs> A couple of weeks ago on episode 51, where we talked about rural America, Junction is such a perfect example of the types of challenges faced in so many places in the country. You have two people, 
one only part-time, very little access to services. Nicole uses her vacation days to run 20-plus cats to the nearest low-cost spay and neuter clinic. It is a 90-minute drive each way. You heard Nicole mention Albuquerque, which I think we can all agree is the town in America with the name that is the most fun to say and is also the hardest to spell. 13 dogs and 11 cats from Junction hit the road on a transport to Albuquerque two days ago, the 23rd. Two members of Albuquerque Animal Welfare packed up the truck this week and drove to Junction, Texas, in a rural area northwest of San Antonio. This is a local news report about the animals arriving at the shelter in Albuquerque. The city says it was a no-brainer to step up and help our neighboring state. I think our spirit really is always trying to help others, and, and we try to take care of our town, but when there's a chance to help someone else, we do that. That's actually the mayor of Albuquerque. How cool is that? So that's 24 of thousands of pets that were moved out of Texas and are still being moved out. Transports are such a key element of saving lives during a disaster, but it takes two. You can't just send animals if they have nowhere to go. Uh, I started Rightway Rescue out of my college dorm room, and it has grown into an organization that adopts out more dogs than any shelter in the state of Illinois today. Our main mission is to help pets from throughout rural America, where they are less likely to, to be saved. And um, we're very proud of our efficiencies and how we work um, throughout the communities and how we prioritize the partnerships that we create and, and the animals that we help. Christy Anderson is the executive director and founder of Right Way Rescue. That's right with a W. They're an incredible organization and transport for them. It's not just a side gig during disasters. So we have a transport route um, that regularly goes throughout Arkansas, Mississippi, Missouri, uh, Tennessee, Kentucky. We help a lot with Texas, uh, Georgia, Alabama. And so we have regular routes in those areas, um, some weekly, some just once, you know, every couple months. And then, of course, whenever there's need, we transition and, and go where we're needed. Chrissy, I'm so glad that we had a chance to talk because you are the transport pros. So tell me about the work that you're doing, uh, that Rightway's doing, helping Texas. You know, how did this all transpire? So we worked with Monica at Austin Pets Alive and had some text chains going. And honestly, it was just a collaboration to get it started, um, to get that first transport out of there. And they were wonderful. We helped line up stuff. It was just a total joint effort. Um, there was a veterinarian who, you know, was coming in on his days off. There are people that just kind of surfaced out of nowhere to make it all possible. And now, you know, they're, they've got more, um, more of a structure to it, which is awesome. But, you know, just getting it started and, and figuring out who's going to jump in and help. Um, it was just a, a total joint effort. So it was awesome. As I say, I mean, you're the pros at this. You've got the partners, you've got the routes, you've got the vehicles. And I saw on your website that right way, I think it was more than 110,000 miles transporting last year, which is pretty wild. So I want to know how this is going. I'm a casual observer. You know, I've chatted with the folks at Best Friends. I see things on Facebook, the news. But with your knowledge and background, you know, how, how have you seen this one work? One of the really cool things about this Texas transport, which was above and beyond um, our typical efforts, which we keep ongoing with our partners throughout the weeks, even when there's a crisis going on, is the the kind of inspiring um, crossover in the different partners that work together to, to kind of make this happen, um, especially right when Texas was experiencing, you know, these hardships. So for instance, uh, when we heard about what was happening, we had reached out to some friends of ours at Austin Pets Alive 
and you know some of them were sitting in cars with their dogs trying to stay warm it was it was really sad to hear that and they had a, a phone call from a, a rural rescue in Tyler, Texas, and they were asking to bring in all of these animals. There was nowhere to put them. And so Dallas Animal Services opened up a wing in their place and brought in the animals so that they wouldn't freeze to death, which is way outside of you know their, their city's uh, responsibility. It was an hour away. Uh, we had a veterans group provide transport. It was just so cool how all of these different entities came together that normally didn't work together. That was probably the most inspiring part about this um, this crisis that we worked on related to transport. I saw the great report on WGN you had. I'm, I'm going to splice some in here probably. Hundreds of miles from where their journey began. 30 dogs and a few cats arrived in the north suburbs early Saturday afternoon. A lot of street dogs. We took some from a rescue. Rescued from Texas says the impact of a massive winter storm there continues and eventually be put up for adoption, hoping their travel from the Lone Star State to the land of Lincoln pays off with a forever home. I mean, it really was a great piece. And I want to be careful how I set this one up because I don't want anyone to take it the wrong way, like giving like dangerous advice or something. But, you know, we are looking to shelters and rescues across the country to do more, increase capacity responsibly. And I think in situations like this, it can be so positive for organizations if it's done correctly, because the news, as we just heard, loves a good story. They want a local angle to the national news. Donors love it. Adopters love it. So as I say, I want to be careful and, and make it clear that, you know, I'm not suggesting that people should run off right now and, and, you know, acquire 50 large behaviorally challenging dogs from South Texas and get in a huge mess. But for organizations that are saying to themselves, you know, can I do this? Should I do this? There can be a really big upside. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we definitely do drive awareness when we, you know, let people in on what's happening that's kind of above and beyond our normal uh, measures. And whenever we do uh, transports related to a disaster or a crisis situation, it's always above and beyond our typical efforts. And so those extra donations and the extra press, the extra awareness, uh, extra foster homes that come out of it, they really do make those you know extra animals possible. And of course, the animals that are in our system are also positively affected because they get more exposure to potential homes and um, we can, you know, let people know what our mission is and they can, you know, decide if they'd like to become a donor or not. So absolutely, it's a, it's a benefit to our organization to help um, and it benefits the locations that we're pulling out of. So that then leads me to the next question of how do I know if I'm ready to do this? Well, I think just, you know, kind of evaluating your capacity to care, your volunteer network, your foster network, Making sure that you understand the medical risks of pets that you're pulling from outside of your typical area, and also, in addition, the medical challenges that can arise in a crisis situation. And those are all really important. And so taking a really good hard look at those before you just start pulling in from, you know, from these situations is really critical to the success of um, not only the animals, but your organization as well. Do you have any more transports lined up right now? Yeah, so we um, received our first one, um, as you know, and then our next one is scheduled for Monday. Where are they going to be coming from? Uh, those guys are coming from the same area, uh, Tyler, Texas. 
Uh, and then we have another transport coming in uh, actually this weekend. So we have one this weekend and one Monday. Uh, this weekend's is coming from the Dallas area. Finally today, last but certainly not least, is Fraley Rodriguez. He's with Best Friends. He is the director of life-saving centers for the East Coast. I started for Best Friends November 2nd, so I'm going to my third month, and I'm still here, so I think that's good news for me. Well, it's good news for us too, buddy. Uh, glad you're on, on the team. Welcome. And a couple of reasons I wanted to talk to you, Fraley. One is just simply the work you're doing, part of the effort. I know you're uh, focused on Houston, Bark, the city shelter there. So I want to know what's been happening, what we're doing. Uh, but I also want to know your perspective as someone who is new. You know, you're in this new role with Best Friends, a national organization. You're helping network partners on the ground in a time like this. So yeah, I'm interested to hear about that. So I, why don't we start here? I, I don't know about you, but I'm not a weather junkie. <laughs> I mean, I keep track of the news, but for me, I kept hearing this storm like, oh, a winter storm is going to hit Texas. I, okay. You know, <laughs> like it does happen from time to time. I have friends in Austin and they, it was a half inch of snow and the city shuts down. So if I hear Texas and snow, it's like, I think my brain just assumes people are freaking out, you know, much, much ado about nothing. So, I mean, we're partners there. Not that anybody could really be ready for something like this, but how ready were they? Did people see this coming at all? I don't think so. Um, that's a great question. I'm not a news junkie or a weather junkie. Living in Florida makes my life a little easier. I wake up, it's 70 degrees, you know, sun's shining. So winter winter storms are not something that I'm used to. But you give me a great hurricane and I can help you with that. I think the storm just caught folks off guard. You know, it is our staff, even our Houston-based staff. Uh, some still have no water. Uh, no power for five days, no water for most of them. We, we still have two staff members that that will not get any water back until the soonest this coming up Friday, which is the uh, the 26th of, of February. And they've been without power for, for now about 10 days. So I think everybody was caught off guard. It, it came to my radar through one of our staff members, Carrie McKeel, um, just pinged me and said, hey, City of Houston is probably going to open up an emergency shelter. What can we do? What can we do to help? And we just started that offer. We just alongside with them. How can we best friends help you? Can you know? It's it was as simple as do you need donuts or do you need crates or what can we do? And ultimately, they needed crates, so we were able to provide about seventy five crates so that they can open up their uh, their emergency shelter that was going to welcome humans and pets. And that's part of that community actions, community relations, community animal welfare, that folks should not give up their pets whenever they go into that a temporary shelter. So, I mean, we're all about that. That keeps humans, you know, the person and the animal together. And that was simple. We just offered it. We had it at our at our life-saving center, they came and picked them up. And after that, it was just every day, just a ping here, a ping there. How can we help you? We're here to serve you. We're here to um, just let us know how we can help. So you help with crates. It's awesome. But what else has been happening? You got a good story for me? I think one of the best stories that came out of it is, and I think sometimes we look at how many animals we save or how many people we touch, but sometimes that, that one person that we help, that one family really means a lot. And I think for Bark and Best Friends, one of the coolest stories that happened this weekend 
we got a phone call late Friday night and there was a family that was staying at a hotel, but they were going to have to leave the hotel because uh, Red Cross, that was not a contracted hotel for them. So they were going to have to move hotels, but they couldn't keep their pets with them. They were going to have to put their pets either at boarding or find someone to take their pets. Now here it is, it's a Friday night, you know, there's no power, no water. It hits Bark's radar. They're trying to help. They don't know what they can do to help. They're they're limited on, on their response as, as a government entity of what they could do. So they just reached out. And that one family was able to keep their pets because best friends came in as a partner of Bark and we were able to find them a pet-friendly hotel and keep the family together. Talk about the difference made in the lives of that family, huh? It's really in the overall scheme of a massive disaster response effort spread across countless organizations. You know, it's a little thing, right? But it's all those little things. I mean, to that one family, I mean, I love those stories. I think that's the basis of, of what we looked at the last week and a half is how can I reach out my hand and say, how can I help you? Let's walk through this together. And like I said, it was one family, but I think what it created was a team of people and organizations that want to move the mission forward. That one family should not give up their pets because they might not have the means. They love their pets just like you and I do. They just needed help. They needed someone to just come alongside. And and Bark was wonderful enough to say, hold on, we got to figure this out. And Together, we were able to figure it out. As I said to start this off, you are a newer staff member. And so, yeah, I'm personally interested. I don't know if others will find it interesting. I guess we'll find out. In your experience, now helping organizations in the way you are, in the way you can, you know, just versus what your experience has been prior to Best Friends. No, it is my first experience. I I still feel myself as an outsider into Best Friends. Like I said, it's three months into it, four months into it. And... I come from a local shelter from a pretty old agency based in a pretty in a large metropolitan area, but it, it's local. So I, you know, I, I have to be honest, at times I've seen it where national organizations come in and, and the local folks feel like, well, they're not really here to help us. But what I experienced over the last two weeks is an agency in humans and people that really care about helping others. And that's, that's something to be proud of. I think that's something, you know, I, I made the decision to join Best Friends because we have a pretty big mission and we're really focused on that mission. And I think this, what's shown over the last two weeks is how we really are going to accomplish that mission and it's together. And I think that's probably the best thing that, that we can say the last two weeks is that we really do this together. It's not about isolating anyone. It's about helping someone. So when we talk about the network partners, this massive coalition, you know, almost 3,300 organizations, why do we do it? A lot of obvious reasons, I think, right? But times like this, for me, is when I go, yep, strengthening numbers, communication, partnerships, we've been building it, you know, so that we don't have to start fresh every time. Like, we've been helping each other when we weren't all out of water for eight days. John, it really does take a village. I think it, it, it takes... A village, it takes a team, it takes a group for life saving. And I think that's what we have experienced in Houston. We can't we can't do it alone alone. We're we're just one hand that needed bark to the other hand to help. Or maybe sometimes it's just for us 
connecting partners to other partners and then letting them bridge themselves to more. And I think we don't probably talk about it enough. I, I compare it to raising my four kids. I can't do it alone. I, I, need a, I need teachers to help me. I need parents to help me. I need their friends to help me. Like it is the same thing when we expand it out to the community. It does take a village. It takes a village to for life-saving. I had a conversation with someone else for the episode. I think it was Junction, Texas. I crudely suggested that disasters are great. Obviously, they're not. But what I meant is what they can do for us as a movement. It's that silver lining, right? Bringing us together. And it's not a requirement of receiving help from best friends. But Junction, they're not a network partner. And I, I don't think anyone really knew much about them. But what happened was a partner saying, hi, best friends. Thanks for asking us what we need. We're okay. But you should go help them. They, they need help. Again, it's all about how can we help each other and, and asking for help. It, I think that's it. I think you don't know until you ask. And at times, folks don't feel like they can ask. But that's part of partnership. That's part of relationships. And I will tell you that while we're moving some animals out of Houston, I think the biggest gain the last two weeks is that as a team, all the organizations within Houston were able to work together for the greater cause, which was to help the community. So yeah, partnership is, is a huge key. So last question, did you also get them donuts and deliver them with the crates? Because if not, it's a big miss, Fraley. I'm gonna be honest with you. Everyone needs more donuts. The donuts are still coming. They haven't made it. For some reason, Uber's not delivering in Houston. Earlier, I said the news cycle has moved on and it's true. And it's easy for us to do the same, but this thing, is far from over. I saw a report today that said the true toll of the storm won't be known for a long time. I mean, they don't even know how many people lost their lives, and it could be months, they say, before they know. I saw another news report. They interviewed a woman whose house flooded from a busted pipe. She just settled the insurance claim she made after Hurricane Harvey 12 days ago. And with the ongoing concerns over the economy and housing, we cannot let the momentum we build for helping each other slow down one bit. Tawny Hammond, Amy Charlton, Bethany Hines, Whitney Blyton, and Mark Peralta are the producers. My name is John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast.